Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, guys, the Super Bowl might be over, but um, the Carolina Hurricanes scored a touchdown the other day. Do you want anybody to listen to this podcast, Matt? All right. Anyways, welcome to the Tracking the Storm podcast. As always, I am Matthew Soma here with some great pals, Brandon Stanley and Alex at Future Canes. And this week... We are obviously going to talk about the Canes games from the past week. We're going to talk about some prospect highlights. But more importantly, we do have a guest on the show. He is the host of the BTS Hockey Podcast that covers all of the draft and just any prospect around the league. If you want to hear what they have to say about life, about the game, and what they're trying to do in the future, this is your man, Jack. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So, first of all, I think we're going to give you a little bit of a platform here just uh, to kind of tell us, like, what you do and maybe, like, what you've got coming up real quick. Yeah, so pretty much, well, I'm, I'm, I'm from North Carolina, from Asheville. Uh, I, I grew up in kind of western North Carolina. Um, I, I spent some time up in New Hampshire in high school, and I fell in love with the game of hockey and just being around the players. And um, I, I went to college down in Tampa and went to a bunch of kind of grew up going to lightning games thanks to a lot of the college discounts um uh just kind of give you the best seat in the house if you show up a certain amount early and kind of a college rush type thing and i I fell in love with it when i ended up coming back here for various reasons i ended up starting a podcast and everyone in just hockey has just been so great to me and my big my biggest kind of reasoning for doing it was I felt like in a lot of other sports, there were ways for people to be able to talk with players one-on-one or two-on-one or whatever it might be and allow them to tell their stories. And I was kind of looking around podcast sphere, if, if you may, and saw that there weren't a lot of opportunities for people in, to do that in hockey. And um, yeah. as, as a 27-year-old, I, I kind of found in, in my time covering hockey and then previous to that covering high school basketball and I've got a chance to work with a lot of players now and just throughout my time in basketball I've I've got a chance to work with guys like Jason Tatum and Ben Simmons and a lot of the guys that you see now in the NBA and now I'm kind of looking back some of the first guys that I just did interviews with for my website just as kind of a just an initial thing I, I got a chance to work with Trevor Zegers and Matt Boldy and a lot of those guys. And now all of a sudden it's turned into a podcast where it's me essentially just having conversations with 
various different up and coming players um, about their experiences in the game of hockey um, and how there have been really interesting conversations lately about how they're handling COVID, which has been an interesting kind of topic of discussion. I mean, I've, I've had conversations with people from Sweden to Finland to Germany to Canada, kind of all over the world, and everyone's kind of handling the COVID situation a little bit differently. And I just had an uh, interview last night that um, should be up on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and kind of wherever you get your podcast with uh, Jordan Harris, who's a Canadian's prospect. And he's currently one of the top scorers on, uh, in terms of uh, defensemen in the NCAA this year. And uh, I got a chance to talk with him kind of about his time in the NCAA and preparing for games in, in this time, which is a little bit odd. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah the, that, that's out today. And um, I should be tweeting this out whenever uh, I'm done with you guys. I always remember like when, when the Canes drafted Noel Gundler, um in the second round, I was admittedly kind of skeptical of the pick. Um, and I remember you did an interview with him. So I actually went back and listened to that one because I was like, no, there's no way the Canes are drafting Gundler. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to get my hopes up. Like, they're going to pick somebody and then they're going to let Gundler fall to like, you know, I thought maybe like a Toronto or something like that. And so I went and listened to that because I was like, man, they just, it seems like the guy has some attitude issues. And just hearing him talk about hockey and hearing him kind of, I don't know, just break everything down, it, it made me feel a lot more comfortable about the pick because. It, re- it really made you get to know the, the player and not hockey robot that's on the ice for my entertainment. Yeah, and Noel is, has always been kind of a polarizing guy. Um, I think he would tell you that. Um, I think that, and I don't, I try not to shy away from those questions of asking him about all of those critics that he's had. And, and he knows about it. I've, I've spoken with him about those critics and, um, for, for the longest time before he really came on the scene, he was oftentimes in the same conversation as guys like Lucas Raymond and uh, Alex Holtz. And um, he knows them both well. Um, I think it was extra frustrating for him getting a chance to grow up around those two guys in the same age groups as them. And, and going 40 uh, picks later. And go 40 picks later, but also not make the Swedish team. He may have missed out on making the Swedish team multiple times because of these issues or these perceived issues of not having a work ethic or not being coachable or whatever you want to say. And um, I I feel like something changed a little bit this year. He got drafted. He started off a little bit slow and then he got moved from uh, Lulea to Brinas. I almost, I, I spoke with him after that. He's one of the guys who's actually been on the show twice. And I got a chance to talk to him about the move. To Brinus. And it seemed almost, he didn't say this, but it seemed almost like it was a little bit of a wake-up call for him because he's from Lulea and it almost seemed like it was, it was like a comfort thing for him. Mm. All of a sudden now he's going to a brand new coaching staff and this year he makes Team Sweden, goes to the World Juniors, admittedly doesn't play perfect hockey, but was one of the top scorers on the team and shows significant improvement from a I thought that his motor looked a lot better than many people believed, but I also thought that it was also one of those things where he was significantly motivated to show that he didn't have those issues. So it's just a matter for him of whether it's going to be consistent or not. No one ever really doubted the talent with Noel. That's almost what makes it, that's what made it the most frustrating. One for him going in the second round, because most people thought he was a mid first round talent guy, but 
kind of as as Matt said early, there were a lot of issues that a lot of people thought, you know, maybe we let him fall. But I think that this is one of those things of if the Kane staff can't make this work, no one's going to be able to make this work. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, so do you think that um, the change of scenery he had moving from Lulea was um, a positive development for his career, you know, that he can go somewhere else, get a different outlook and perspective from the coaching staff and, you know, have to remodel his game in a new system? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, imagine kind of growing up in, in a place that you're very familiar with and playing for that team for a long time. Then all of a sudden, when you're 18, 19 years old, just saying, oh, okay, you're, we're moving you. Like it was kind of one of those where it was frustrating for him, but I think he took it very well. Whether it lasts, I think is to be determined. But I think that kind of, like I said earlier, if there's anyone to kind of get him um, to where he needs to be, I think Carolina is a good place to be, especially with the staff with Rod. Matt, I actually remember watching the draft thinking when Noel was still on the board in the second round and he fell all the way to the Canes. I just remember thinking, wow, this is just such a perfect Canes-like thing to do. It was the same thing with Patrick Pistola, where all of a sudden he falls to the third round. Some people had him picked in the first round with a first. first round pick. He falls all the way to the third round. And, I mean, admittedly, he's had a little bit of a slow year this year in Finland, but it's such a wacky year, it's really hard to read into how good some of these guys are playing when no one can really get into a rhythm. But, I mean, it's just such a Canes – thing where everyone looks back at it going like how did we let them do this again seems to happen every year at least since Waddell took over I saw some tweet uh, it was like I just feel like the Hurricanes pick all the players that other teams forget to pick exactly yeah (laughs) these guys that are ranked up here and they're still on the board somehow and you hope back to Gunnar just real quick it's kind of along with what you were already saying about this is the place for him to be like you the Hurricanes are kind of gathering this reputation of that work ethic and it, right. you know, playing under Rod Brindamore, you are going to play the game the way he wants you to play or you're not going to play. Exactly. And having a guy like Gunnar that has all the talent in the world, hopefully right. he sees that and wants to be a part of that and is motivated to make it happen, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I think, um, I think it's a testament to the Hurricanes prospect group as a whole that they're at the point kind of where they can take a chance on guys that some scouts and other teams have kind of surrounded with question marks and say, you know, maybe we can't draft this guy because of this problem or that problem. But the Hurricanes have enough depth in their prospect pool, enough depth on the team right now that, you know, they can take a chance on these guys. And, you know, early returns look pretty promising. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Gunnar, he's getting things going in Sweden. And like you said, Pistella, when he fell further down in the draft, they were there to pick him up. And, you know, just guys that have some kind of character problems perceived by the media or, you know, they've got like a guy like Fensore. He's got obviously the size issue, but, you know, they can take a chance on these guys because even if they don't hit on every single one, they've kind of built a good enough foundation that, you know, they can really swing for the fences with some of these picks. It's going to be a good learning experience for him. And it's regardless of what happens, like I I do think the Canes and Gunler will be better off. Um, with this move and I mean yes he's only getting third line minutes but that's much better than what he was probably gonna get with his old team and I'm excited now for this pick like watching him play and seeing more of or knowing what type of person he is I can now be excited about the player yeah and I I think that 
would also cause them to kind of, as someone was saying earlier, the fact that they have that foundation allows them to take a swing on a guy like Gundler or Nebeck or even later like an Alexander Passion. So it, it allows them to like a pick like Seth Jarvis, which is, I mean, he's what scored four goals in his first four games in Chicago. Um, the certainty that he's going to hit, he might not be a high, high end guy, but the fact that we can look at Seth Jarvis and go, we're about 90% sure he's going to hit at least in some capacity allows them to look at Noel and go, Oh, okay. If he hits, it's huge. Like he could be a Teravine type guy down the road. If he hits, if he doesn't hit, we took him in the second round. No big deal. There are a lot of players that don't make it in the second round, but if we take this swing, we at least know that we have a guy like a Jarvis that we're pretty certain is going to hit if Noel Gundler does not. So right. I think just from a strategy standpoint, I feel like it works out pretty well. Well, the other question I kind of had, like we see players all the time that have these perceived attitude issues. And then yeah. it's like, you actually get to talking to the kid or seeing him out on the ice. And like, there's so many instances where that just seems like a little crap down the road. Right. right. Do you get, I mean, where does that come from? Like, I just, <laughs> and maybe you can be like specific to Gunler. Is it just like a scout that doesn't like him? Is it just an interview right. where he rubs somebody the wrong way? Like, I don't know. It's just weird to me that some of these kids get kind of screwed over. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, and in my time talking with him, I don't get the sense that he's not a good kid, not a good locker room guy from just the sense that I get talking with him one-on-one. I, again, I can't personally attest to him specifically in the locker room. I'm not there. Like, I think right. that, like, in terms of being very kind of careful with that scenario, I can't really, like, speak to that specifically. I, I think that there are specific players that you can look at that get that reputation. The first one that comes to mind is Ryan Merkley, um, a player that a lot of people loved and admittedly was darn good at hockey <laughs> like, yeah. the, the talent was never an issue with ryan merkley um but for whatever reason he moved from team to team to team he all of a sudden he's back with the london knights and playing really good hockey but for whatever reason it's not gaining any traction with san jose and all of a sudden now at least i haven't heard about him in a while so like it's one of those things where you look back at it and you, you go what led up to this um i haven't I, I think that the big part for Gundler was at least I heard it was coachability, but I also heard that it was just a lack of a motor, which you can see if you go back and you watch him when he was in Lulea, you yeah. can go back and you can watch it and you can watch his shifts and go, I, I see where people are coming from. I get it. Um, and, and I think that you can see it kind of in spurts now, but it seems like it's ratcheted up a little bit with that wake up call and that move. I saw it even less uh, at the World Juniors. Um, I think part of that was definitely motivation that he wanted to show that he should have made it probably the last three years on Team Sweden. Um, but now all of a sudden he's getting a chance to play alongside guys like Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz and Philip Broberg and all of these guys that are like Captain Sweden. Like right. it's the really talented players that will be playing in the NHL. And he got a chance to show himself next to all of those guys who 
I'm, I would say about 50% of the team Sweden team will be playing in the NHL at some point or another. And I'm really interested in seeing next year when we get to the beginning of next season in September and hearing what Rod Brindamore and the coaching staff have to say about him when he gets to come over for a full training camp. Whether he's It sounds like a maturity. Or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, and that's and that's so many young offense-centric prospects are like that. Right. And you know, he's 19 years old. Sometimes they're not the most consistent. Sometimes they have lapses or maybe a lack of motivation, whatever the case may be. But like you right. said, at, uh, the World Juniors, all of a sudden he's got another gear, and it seems like pretty much every shift he's making an impact. And right. Maybe in a few years it, he'll be interesting to track, like you said. So, well, I, I think, I, I'm I think also glad we have him. I think I, that's I, the best part about um, about his development overall is you just drafted him in October, and mm-hmm. with the with the uh, bargaining agreement in place with Sweden, you're gonna have four years for, you know, for him to need an entry level deal. So, and it's not like you're relying on this guy to come in, you know, at the start of next season. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's one of your top picks that you're relying on. You know, you've got Seth Jarvis, you have Dominic Bach, you have Jamison Reese, and these other prospects that. Or, you know, they're definitely ahead of him on the pecking order right now and guys that are probably closer to the NHL. But so you, you he has ample time to develop. Yeah, and I think doing this podcast is kind of kind of coming back to the original question about um, whether it's coachability or whatever it might be. I, I would not have wanted someone at, when I was 17, 18 years old evaluating how I went about whatever that's, that's, I did. That's totally so, fair. Just from a human perspective that I think sometimes we don't think about is that, I mean, I, I grew up a lot from just as, as a young man, I grew up a lot from 19 to 23, just in terms of my maturity level, um, doing whatever I was doing. So I think that that's another thing to think about is that athletes have a little bit of a different curve than normal people, obviously. But I think that just from a human perspective that maybe a lot of people don't think about is that there's a lot of maturing that young men have to go through. And I think that's what makes guys like Andres Vechnikov and Sebastian Ajo. And even if you look around the league, Braden Point and even like Connor McDavid is still only like what, 24, which is just unbelievable is that the, the maturity level of these guys is just off the charts. Um, but yeah. I was actually just about impressive. to ask. I yeah. was actually just about to ask like, um, if there were any other prospects or just players in general that had been standing out to you this year, whether it is from like a growth standpoint or whether you've mm-hmm. seen them, maybe like obviously we've right. spent a long time talking about Goonler, but who are some other guys that have maybe uh, stood out to you this year? Um, Ryan Suzuki. Um, I, I know that I can say this. I mean, <laughs> kid's good. I mean, like he's really good. Um, he's been through a lot. Um, with the whole situation with his eye and um, he went from being really really talented and but having to live up to his brother who we all see now is playing really well for Montreal but then going through that whole thing and I, I one question that I always ask players at the end of every interview is what does the game of hockey mean to you that's the one thing that I ask every single player and I feel like it kind of encapsulates their journey and um, Ryan I got a chance to talk to him after he went through the whole not being able to see out of his eye for three, four days um, of how much uh, hockey means to him now is kind of realizing that, hey, may, I might not be able to see out of this thing at all. Um, and then all of a sudden now he's back and um, he got a chance to play for Team Canada this year at the World Juniors on that just ridiculously loaded team 
that most people thought were going to win. And But he was stuck on the fourth line. The fact that Canada is so deep that Ryan Suzuki can play fourth line minutes for you is bonkers to me. He like, did it well, though. I so thought he, he looked really he good. He fit really well, incredibly role, well, to be honest. He, Playing a little he, bit more of a heavy role. like he, I thought right. he was great in that role. Yeah, and I, I thought I – thought, actually, I thought that he showed that he was a very – Keynesy player. Yeah. <laughs> if absolutely. that's even a, a thing. Like, I mean, he he went from being able to be a scorer and a skills guy and a very talented top two line forward for most top junior teams in Canada to being able to say, Hey, you know what? I want to make this team. I will do whatever you ask me to do, which is essentially how this Canes team has gotten off to a 10 and 3 start. So I Minus mean, Ryan is dingle, <laughs> but I mean, I, in, in essence though, I shouldn't be throwing shots. I'm sorry. I mean, if, <laughs> but even like if, if you look at, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, Brock McGinn, which is all of a sudden he's getting first line minutes time at, at, at points throughout this year, just out of necessity, because like, that's what was necessary for, for this team to be able to get over injuries to nature's and, um, losing Martin Nook and Faust and all those guys to earlier in the season, Vincent Trocek. Exactly. So uh, the fact that this team is 10 and three right now kind of blows my mind, but that's here. That's because we've got guys that uh, appreciate when playing for Rob Brindamore and two are able to adapt their games to be able to be successful. And that's exactly what Ryan Suzuki did at the world juniors. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, he's a fun player to watch too. And he's a good kid. He's a guy that I'm really excited to see because he's got a lot of talent. So, um, and he seems like a guy that, that just fits, he's going to fit really well into the locker room as well. So. Um, and I'm as of recording. Yeah. He so, has uh, his first pro goal. Oh, does he? Yeah. He, he scored his first pro goal. This is Tuesday, the 16th. So. Um, cool. For those of y'all that are listening to this way in the future, you're like, yeah, duh, he has his first AHL goal. Like, cool, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, like just a couple, uh, about an hour before we recorded, Suzuki tallied his first career AHL goal there, on the power play. There you play. go. There you and go. I mean, it's just like you're seeing, I called it during the World Juniors, like a nastiness from Suzuki that you never would have seen from him. Right. Because the biggest concern that scouts had from him in his rookie year is his passiveness perimeter oriented a little i mean he still kind of is yeah but so is like terrifying some guys can like kind of manage in a way nietzsche was like that last year and that this year he's gotten a lot more interior it's another player we could probably talk about for forever i don't know if we will or not but (laughs) i think we've said that like on every episode so far is we need to talk about nietzsche and we never do i'm still waiting on that i got plenty for like But, you know, the thing about Suzuki is that he's he's learning to adapt. And I said this last week is like yeah. to be an NHL player, you have to adapt. And Suzuki is getting that edge to his game. It'll make Rod Brindamore play him It'll almost like kind of like force Brindamore's hand. Like, OK, now, because we even saw with um, like Cedric Paquette, Paquette's not a good hockey player. And we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> but my goodness, can he night. can he hit somebody? He's valuable. Um, He's valuable in a certain way. And you know what? Like there, there's something to be said about those players that can hit and whatnot, but it's like, if you're a player that actively avoids contact, chances are you're not going to make it very far in the league unless your name is Connor McDavid. Jeff Skinner. (laughs) 
Mm, and we're seeing Jeff Skinner, yeah. Jeff Skinner now is the most expensive fourth line player in all of the NHL. Absolutely. <laughs> and I will, you, you will should never hear me, me complain about first line Brock again after seeing that Skinner contract. <laughs> oh my God. But so like the one thing I want to talk about is because we've obviously talked about a lot of Kane's prospects, but something that like this year, especially is that's going to be kind of unknown as the draft. Like we obviously don't right. know when it's going to happen. We don't know what's going to lead up to the draft. There's still a lot of unknowns, but it's it's January, and in a, in a normal year, we'd be talking about it right now. Exactly. Or at right. least doing like <laughs> preliminary, just like, oh, hey, this might be a player whenever. So, Jack, I'm going to ask you, who are the Carolina Hurricanes going to pick 32nd overall in the 2021 <laughs> NHL entry draft? <laughs> I love the optimism, and I would love them to be picking 32nd. Um, the, the guy that just screams that he just fits in so well with what we want to do. And I loved watching him at the world juniors was Oscar Olison. Um, oh, interesting. For, I, I think um, Sweden, from, right? From Sweden. Um, and he just seems like a guy that he might rise too much by the time that we get to the draft that maybe he's picked in the late teens. Um, he, he doesn't have, that high top end skill that some of the guys in this draft have that being said, it's a weak draft overall. So in most years he might not be in the late teens because I've kind of seen him anywhere from 15 to early in the second round. Um, But I I remember watching him. He was on the fourth line for team Sweden um, this year at the world juniors, but he was just absolutely flying around the ice and um, he doesn't have that, he at least in my eye he didn't have that top end skill but he just plays a million miles an hour he's that guy that you look at as all of a sudden in four years he's a really good like third line winger fourth line guy that all of a sudden you look at and you go yeah there aren't many guys who can score on the fourth line and you go, yeah he was valuable he's a valuable player who can come in he can he flies around the ice a million miles an hour and ends up being a valuable piece to a team that ends up making a deep run in the in the playoffs and um he also seems like a guy that seems like a guy that the canes would draft i think it's fair to say that all of us are kind of expecting the hurricanes to be drafting like later on in the first round well last year um i went to a gatineau olympique um game with my one of mm-hmm. my good buddies uh he, not a fan of hockey at all but they were playing against ramuski and Alexi Lafreniere was in town. So I was like, you know, come along for the game. You'll have a oh, good yeah. time. <laughs> and he, he was hyped up to come see it. But um, so quite early into the game, um, he asked me, he's like, I, I, who, who did we come to see? And I was, so I point out Lafreniere to him, but he brings up Zach Dean, who was <laughs> playing on the Gatineau Olympiques, still playing with right. them now. Just, I mean, he, he, I would say he might have stole the show from Lafreniere that game. I don't actually think he had any points, but man, the hockey sense, the speed, the skills. I mean, he put defenders on the spin cycle. I mean, just routinely throughout the game. Um, he's a smaller guy, skill guy. Um, he hasn't been that productive in the QMJHL this year. I know he was dealing with a wrist injury, but uh, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on him, uh, yeah. how he could fit in the system and where you kind of see him going in the draft. Yeah, I, Zach's actually been on the show, so oh, nice. it's, it's <laughs> <Nice>. actually <laughs> um, That's perfect. I, I spoke with him um, during that kind of break in between when the queue started. They played the ten games in the bubble and then took that massive break. Oh right, yeah. That um, and 
he, he was kind of getting over that, that injury. And he said, you know what? I felt like I was playing well. Things just weren't going. But like he said, sometimes it just happens in hockey. He said, like, I felt like I was doing everything right. It just, he said this year and the way that things were bouncing, it just wasn't going. Um, but no, I, I, I like Zach. I think that that's kind of a good area for him to go in. I think that that kind of 20 to 30 area where he, again, another guy who plays really hard and, um, I think that he would maybe have a little bit less of a, an adjustment over to playing in, in North America, obviously, because he is from Gatineau, um, maybe a little bit less of a, um, I mean, like, kind of like you said, he's a smaller skilled guy, but a lot of the guys from Sweden have even more, like if Olison ended up having to come over, they have an even bigger transition because they, they play different hockey over in yeah. um, Finland and Sweden than they do than they play over here. So I mean that that that's a that's a good name. I think that, that that's a good area for him to go in. Um he's he's a first round guy in my eyes. I don't think he's in that mid teens area. I think that that's a good place for him in that kind of later first round, but I think he's a first round guy. Um if you told me that he fell into the beginning of the second round, I wouldn't be overly surprised by that given his production this year. Um, but I, I think that anyone that looks at him looks at him and thinks that he's probably a first round draft pick, and I would probably agree with that. So yeah, I mean, just I, I just taking just taking a look at his stats from this year, he's got uh, three goals and four assists um, in eleven games as of um, right. as of this recording. Um, like I said uh, in that game last year against Ramuski, I don't think he got on the score sheet at all. But I mean, just his presence on the ice. Every time he was out there, you could like you're just you were drawn to watching him. Just the speed, uh, the elusivity, just the sense, the IQ, especially in the offensive zone. I mean, he kind of reminded me almost of Elias Lindholm um, in some senses, where you know he was just making passes that his teammates weren't even ready for because you know they're they're just not expecting him to make that kind of pass. He just just sees the ice so well. Um, I've seen him. I've seen him mocked in the late first round probably um a little bit some scouts i've seen him kind of like a day two pick i know central right. scouting uh give him a b ranking but um yeah i was just i was just looking for your opinion on him because oh yeah, man was i, I ever I impressed with him the highest i would see him going is kind of in that 22 to 25 range i think that that's yeah. i think that that's a good kind of area for him um i i think this year is just so wacky. No one really yeah, knows. This is the worst draft year. So weird. Not, not to mention, like, his team is just not strong overall. So I think he's doing right. a lot on his own. Right. And in the, the queue, I've noticed, is a little bit hard at times to evaluate players as opposed to maybe the OHL. I mean, just in terms of them compared to the rest of the players from Canada. Um, and in my like, because sometimes I look at guys and they end up being much better than I expected them to be out of the queue. So it goes both ways um, for me. Uh, so I mean, I like Zach Dean. I think that he's a talented, talented player. I, I'm just interested in seeing where he ends up falling in this weird ass year. So I mean, not only is it a weird year, it's a weak draft class. Who's going? Who's say. going first in this draft? Is what I want to know. I um, have no idea. I know who I want <laughs> to go first. I want Matty Beneers to go first. I'm the Matt, that's Matt, who I would take. He's the best Problem yeah. is though, like if you're picking first overall, especially if you're a team like uh, like a Detroit, you're you're gonna want to stake your franchise. And I'm not sure any of these guys this year are players that you'd stake your franchise on. Exactly. This is such an annoying draft class to evaluate because like 
even a league like the QMJHL that's technically been operating since September, they've had what two or three pauses like yep. league wide. Mm-hmm. And that messes with the player's rhythm. That's Absolutely. probably that's I mean, granted, it's not the only factor. That's why a guy like Zach Dean hasn't been able to get a rhythm going is because every time he does get a rhythm going, the league shuts down. <laughs> right. To nod your too, because I mean, I was thinking about this before we started recording, but even some guys who were projected like three months ago to be in the top five, all of a sudden you look at and they like, I'll give an example, Carson Lambos, who not even three months ago, some people were projecting him to go like number three overall. Yeah, they were saying he was the second best mm-hmm. defenseman in the class behind uh, Power. He goes to Europe. And now all of a sudden people seem to not like him. So it's like, what are, what do you want these kids to do? Do you want them to sit at home and not play? Or do you want them to go overseas and then poke holes in their game because they're playing because now you get a chance to see them against men where of course they're going to look not like they belong right off the bat in a country that they've never been to that all of a sudden they're living in. So it's like, what do you want them to do? Do you want them to sit at home? and have to deal with these pauses as Matt was saying, or do you want them to go over and play with men like Brennan Othman is in Switzerland because yeah. he's a dual citizen or uh, Mason McTavish, another guy who and is where, probably a first round pick. He's in Slovakia, uh, right? He's the, uh, I'm a big fan both, of McTavish in, as well. Uh, Brent Clark is in Slovakia. That's right. That's who it is. Yep. Brent Clark's Brand in Slovakia. Clark. And apparently people are still high on him, but all of a sudden a lot of people have dropped off on Carson Lambos. Well, so it's like, it's, Clark, I've seen a lot of people be be critical of Clark too because not right. necessarily because he isn't producing, but it's just because like he's um a very boomer bust player. And I mean this is such a weird draft class because you're getting to view players at most for 20 games this mm-hmm. year in the league that they would have been playing in. Or more if they're in college. If they're one of the yes. few guys that have been <laughs> that have been able to go and play in college, like the Nears in power, and so right, part yeah. of me, part of me is thinking that this is going to be a draft where we're going to see a lot of European players drafted, and a lot of like mm-hmm. European players drafted higher than they would be. Right, like like you're going to see you know Joe Schmo from Finland get drafted <laughs> in the second round when in reality he's probably like a fourth or fifth round talent. What about because overagers? Overagers, it's going to be a huge year for them because you saw them last year, so you at least kind right. of know. It's going to be a big year for, like like you said, NCAA, USHL, and prep school kids because those kids have been playing all year long. But because, I mean, I, yeah, prep just started up again. So like Avon Old Farms and a lot of those schools, um, shout out Avon Old Farms who used to have Spencer Knight <laughs> and Trevor Zegers. Um <laughs> But <laughs> I mean, like it's. I think that I think that this is a big year for prep guys. Yeah. Because I, I think that they're playing right now. <laughs> like there's there's a big advantage to being prep. I mean, I mean Jordan Harris, a guy I talked to yesterday, went to Kimball Union. He's a prep guy. Ended up being a third round pick. One of the higher guys actually drafted out of prep schools. He and Riley Walsh are kind of the two most recent yeah. ones. I'm not sure how high you'll see them, but I think you'll see more of them picked in the fourth to later rounds than you might see otherwise because a lot of guys were like at least we saw them play 
And so that's <laughs> well, kind of well, why I'm thinking like 2022 might be a really good draft year for overagers as well. Because right. there's going to be just a lot of talent missed in this draft because of the lack of exposure. That's a good yeah, point. Well, well, here's another thing. Um, I've definitely seen the uh, idea. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a rumor or just an idea or if it's something actually being considered, but uh, there's starting to be a little talk maybe about, you know, the draft actually being pushed back because of, you know, the limited viewings on, on some of these guys. Do you guys see that as a possibility as, uh, at all? I don't want to hear about Owen Power for another year. I don't. <laughs> I don't. The, and he's looking really good. Admittedly, he has been looking great this past couple of weeks with Michigan. But I just don't want to hear about a guy who might be your third best defenseman. I, I think that this is also the first year that I look at and I look at the draft and I go, usually I look at the draft and go, oh, okay, there's like these three guys that could make it to the NHL in year one. They might not make a huge impact. Like Sveshnikov ended up being yeah. a fourth line guy for a good part of the year. And then randomly, for whatever reason, Montreal decided to put Jesperi Kakaniemi in the NHL. I have no idea why, but they did it. And But this is the first year that I look at the draft and I go, I'm not sure if any of these guys are ready for the NHL in year one. No, like, and the only person that is... They could end up being good players down the road, but I'm not sure if, like, I love Matty Beneers. I'm not sure if I want him in the NHL. Yeah, like, it, it would honestly benefit a guy like Beneers um, to stay in the NCAA for another year, kind of like Cole Caulfield. Yeah. And, like... The and only Johnson player that come back to Michigan I'm convinced year. the only player that might be NHL ready just because of like size and defensive acumen is power, and that's why he's being right considered for first overall is because he plays an NHL game, and whether it's going to be a good like top tier NHL game remains to be seen, but that's why he's in the conversation is because he's arguably the most NHL ready. But, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a year where a team like Carolina could really succeed because they bet on upside. I'll also put it this way. with I think Noel Gundler, even with all the questions, he would probably be a mid-first-round pick this year. To kind of put that into perspective. Oh, God, yeah. Of, like, kind of where this draft is in comparison to last year. And next year is even better than last year's. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's – <laughs> I mean – it's, it's a weak draft, and I think that you're going to see some players in the first round that a lot of people were pretty sure about not doing as well as a lot of people thought. So I it's, think it's a bad year to have an early pick. Yeah. Well, let's uh, – Comparatively speaking. Comparatively speaking. Let's, comparatively. Uh, let's swing back to uh, Korshkov for a minute. Um, just want to ask you guys yeah. about him. I mean, you get him for Kane's legend, Alex Galchenyuk. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's a tough loss to swallow. But, I mean, when you get past the pain and grief – of losing him i mean he's 24 he's 24 years old we're gonna have to consider that but he's 24 <laughs> years old six foot five 215 pounds um he's played one year in north america he had a pretty good year last year with the marley's 16 goals in 44 games got one game in with the Leafs, actually scored in that game but um he did go back to russia before you know kind of all the info came about out about um the bubble in Toronto and about, you know, that the AHL season this year would be pushed back on hold indefinitely. So you kind of do have to ask the question if he's planning on coming back to North America Um, this year over in Russia, he's got 32 points in 54 games. So, I mean, he's, he's he's scoring over there. I mean, 
before this past year, his high career high there was 26 points and only eight goals. So he's kind of taken a step forward offensively, contributing there a little more. Obviously, he's got the power forward type game. Uh, do you guys see a role for him anytime in the future? From a production standpoint, I mean, like, I feel like you could carve out like a bottom six role for him. I think the biggest reason why Toronto got rid of him is because they knew that he would never fit in their system. Right. Because where the hell are you going to put him in that forward core? Like Toronto has built one of the best forward cores in the league. And, you know, they've skimped on defense and LOL. They blew a 5-1 lead against the Senators. But, um, like, where is a prospect going to fit on that roster unless they're, you know, ridiculous? And Korshkov's not a ridiculous prospect. He's just a solid bottom six forward. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure there's anything dynamic about him, but from what I've seen and read, um he plays a heavy game. Uh he's not afraid to go to the dirty areas. You know, he's got t- soft hands in close in front of the net. He can contribute in a lot of ways. Kind of sounds like an ideal fit for the Hurricanes bottom six, you know, if you end up moving on from a guy like Martinook or you know, you can even make the argument that you know, kind of Fogel is getting into redundant territory. You think Korshkov can kind of fit the mold of those guys and replace them at, you know, definitely a cheaper price tag? By the way, one thing to point out, he is like leading his team in points. Or 32 points in 54 games are actually leading the team. Oh, no way. And Anton, there's a couple, yeah, and there's a couple, uh, like Anton Lander, I saw was on their roster. Our, our, um, former Chicago, second round pick of Edmonton. Chicago prospect Arthur Kayamov, the only player oh, that yeah. the Hawks received in the Taravainen trade. Oh, wow. I think yesterday when I saw it, my first reaction was that the Canes were preparing for the expansion draft. If you lose a guy, I don't know, like a Martin Nook, and you don't protect him, that Korshkov could immediately come in. They they can say, we got a role for you. We're going to hold you here until someone like Jamison Rees is available. And you have a role here this year. Like it was a pretty low risk thing. He kind of plays the way that Rod likes his bottom six guys to play. And I thought that it was kind of smart. Um, Galchenyuk really doesn't fit this team. It almost seems like we looked at it. Rod said, I want Cedric Paquette. Do what it takes to take get Cedric Paquette because Ryan Dezingle, he's a good player. He doesn't fit what I want here right now. So We have said that out, a million times right here. <laughs> do what it takes to get Cedric Paquette. Have him smash people in the mouth about 50 times a game. And we'll take Alex Gilchenyuk. We'll immediately waive him. We're never going to do it. Like, we're never going to keep him. Let him stay in Canada so he doesn't even have to quarantine. And we'll, we'll send him off to Toronto. No harm, no foul, no hard feelings. And we end up getting the guy we wanted anyways. And we end up adding on Korshkov. It was definitely questionable for me when, you know, they made the trade to acquire Galchenyuk. And I, I looked on social media, especially on Kane's Twitter, and you see a lot of guys saying, oh, you know, if Galchenyuk can get back to his 2016 form in Montreal. And I was like, let's, like, let's pump the brakes here a little. <laughs> like, the only worse fit than Dezingle on this team is an Alex Galchenyuk type player. Right. And, yeah. I mean, <laughs> where, was he, where would he play for us anyways? Where would he play? The same spot the Dezingle was just in, and he wouldn't but, he would do the same thing. But yeah. basically, he's not space. effective on the wing. I mean, when he was at his best in Montreal, he had that pace and that power you looked for. He was playing 
as their, I think as their number one center back then, he looked like he was emerging as a one C in the NHL. He had the entire package. He was kind of like almost in a Svechnikov mold in, in his initial, like when he first came into the league for his, a couple of years there. I mean, the knee injuries definitely derailed him. And then since then, he just hasn't been be able to get back to that level. Um, now he's kind of, is he a winger? Is he a center? Like he doesn't have an identity anymore. But I think it was pretty obvious from an optical point of view that he was a worse fit for this group than Ryan Dezingle would have been. The yeah. trade definitely looks a lot better when you... When um, you add Korshkov. Yeah, when you're like, hey, you get Cedric Paquette, who is a way better fit for your fourth line than Dezingle would be. And yes, like Dezingle is unquestionably the better player in that deal. He's the best player in the like, trade from the three There, players. There is no close. way that you could spin that to make it seem like Paquette is the better player because he's not. Dezingle is a far better NHL player than Paquette is, but Paquette fills a role that the Hurricanes needed. Therefore, it's a valuable thing. Right. The Hurricanes needed to be tougher to play against. They needed a guy who could actually, you know, like make them compete against a Boston, for example. In a playoff series, especially. Or, or, yeah, like or in a playoff gonna series, that's going to be important. Exactly. Or, or, or a Tampa in round two. If, if exactly. Oh, absolutely. Way. Because Tampa, while they're very, very good, they are not the same team they were last year. And like, they're, they're still very, very good. They miss Kucherov badly. But they'll have him back too. Probably. Yeah, they're, they're going to find I a think, way to get him for the playoffs, I think. But I'm not sure if he's going, like, it. I mean, we're seeing kind of how long it takes. I mean, to get some of these guys up to speed. Oh, Aho that... only just started. I mean, Tavo and Aho just started playing well like two games ago. So, like, it's it's yeah, going right. to take great, him great a while. Point. And great point. If there's any time to to jump on Tampa, it's early. And with the way that this team is looking, Cedric Paquette is a guy that, I mean, if you look at all the quotes from all of the guys on, on the Canes when they found out it about it. It seems like he's a like, pain in the ass, yeah. Thank God we have him on our team because he is not fun to play against. And kind of as Matt said earlier in the show, he's not a great hockey player. <laughs> he's not, but he's he sucks to play against because he will fly around. He demolished Seth Jones last night. The trade is like, you trade away a player who was wasted on your fourth line. You get a lot of cap space and you get a good player for your fourth line. And then you get a maybe in a prospect that like could see bottom six minutes. And I think that's, you know, really all we need to touch on. Cause honestly, this is a pretty minor trade, all things considered. As far as Paquette goes as the four C for likely the rest of this year with the way things are going, you think that's an indictment uh, at this point on guys like Morgan Geeky and Lorenz that the team thinks, Hey, you know, these guys just aren't ready to handle that role yet. So we actually, we got this as a question on Twitter from somebody. So Brandon, you can go ahead, but I wanted to say like, um, this was somebody's question the other day. And so um, if you're watching, we're about to answer your question (laughs) or listening. Um, I don't know why I said watching. (laughs) I think it has more to do with the fact that Brendan Moore thinks this is a Stanley Cup caliber f- roster, and that isn't the way for the young guys to cut their feet in the NHL. That's just my personal perspective. I think Geeky would be a little better suited. Yeah, because I mean, Geeky played games in Toronto last year, right in the in the bubble. So yeah. it's not like you're just throwing him into the fire. But well, was... yeah, but and he was good, but he was also playing in a different role a little bit. He was wasn't he playing That's higher fair. up the lineup, if I'm not mistaken, or with with at least with a little bit more skill. 
I could be wrong, but I, I feel like I remember him playing with at least like Fogel or somebody. Um, and I mean, we saw how he burst onto the scene last year. And now he's out there with Martinuk, who is not having a good start to the year. And Jesper Faust, who is just now starting to be a little bit more noticeable and get his legs under him after his COVID stint. And Lorenz was really noticeable his first couple games. And then when he was inserted onto that fourth line, he kind of disappeared. Geeky, same kind of thing. So I, I just don't think it's a great fit for them stylistically. And it's, it's just not the best situation for them to succeed and I don't think he wants to crack their confidence. I, that's that's just what I how I feel about it. I don't think Geeky, with the amount of skill that he has, is cut out for an NHL fourth line job. That's cut out for a guy like Paquette, who, yes, he might not be very good, and yes, his offensive stats and analytics look like Jay McClements, but the dude hits people. It's not an indictment on Geeky. It's just the Canes don't view him as their four C of the future they might view him as a third line forward. And so I think that, that there's, there's some hope to be found in that. I, I think from, from my perspective, just kind of playing both sides of it, one, in, from the Paquette side of it, just from specifically with him as the player, he just won a Stanley Cup. So he's been there, done that. He's played this role that they're going to ask him to play. He's been there. I think that that's where Rod's coming from in terms of just specifically the Sergio Paquette thing. In terms of Geeky, I, I don't disagree that they see him as a third-line guy, maybe higher up the lineup, but when is that going to happen? Because we have guys coming up behind him that are better than he is. Yeah. So, like, I would, like, I would expect Ryan Suzuki to be the third-line center. <laughs> Jack like, Drury. Jack Drury. Jamison Reese is in that Jameson mix too. Jamison Reese. So I, 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 if not now, when? That's kind of my concern yeah. with Morgan Geeky is not that I don't think he's good or that he can't play that third line role. I just think that there are guys that are coming up that are going to improve at a more drastic rate than he is going to that are more skilled. Ryan Suzuki is just flat out better hockey player and he's going to make more of an impact whenever we lose Jordo or Vinny or whoever it might be, like we have guys who are going to fill in who are admittedly, and I like Morgan Geeky. I just don't know if his future is in Carolina. And no, there's nothing I'm, wrong with that. I just don't know where he fits in. I'm completely life. right there with you. I mean, you're like for Steven Lorenz particularly, I mean, his ceiling is probably on the fourth line. I mean, ideally he's a winger. But, yeah. I mean, you've tried him at center. I mean, Rod Brindamore trusts him at center. He's played him there. So, I mean, if you don't want to look at him now, I mean, it, like the question is when. Like, he's going to be 25. He might already be 25. And as far as Morgan Geeky, I like the player. Um, I like the kid. He's done a lot. He's he's grown a lot uh, since being in the organization. But I'm kind of starting to see him as a bit of a tweener as in the fact that you know, maybe he's not fit for a fourth line role in the NHL, but I'm also not sure he's got enough skill consistently um, and enough dynamic elements to his game to be a top nine guy, especially uh, on a roster as deep and, you know, with the prospect group as stacked as it is in Carolina. I mean, it's going to be hard for him to carve out a role. I'm giving a shout out to these people. Uh, so Luke, not you, asked that question about geeks. Um, that's at Luke with three U's, 
Not you. Mm. Ask that. Looks like he's a Canes fan with a big Canes flag in the background. Shout out to you for the question. And then the King, the underscore King 14, Nick King asks, what is the deal with Bean? Canes seem to be uncertain what to do with him. The Canes are all over the place and uh, he played well against Columbus. I'd like to see him get more NHL minutes, but I don't know where he fits on the roster. It seems the Canes don't either. Where do we sit on Jake Bean? You don't sit on your beans. <laughs> that was me uh, <laughs> slapping my knee. Oh, uh, here we go with the puns again. Uh, <laughs> this is a this is a podcast first too. It's like we have a guest and we suddenly don't know how to act. <laughs> I will say this. I mean, you guys already know where I'm going with this. I don't even really need to say it. I like Jake Bean. You know, he's got some good traits as a player. But at this stage, he should never be playing over Hayden Fleury. It just should not be happening. It should not be happening. I mean, he had two assists last night. He had, okay, he had two How assists. How many points does Fleury he have He had season? two assists, all right? No, <laughs> sample size. You're, about, you're about to set me off. One, <laughs> one, one, he just dumped the puck into the corner. And that was oh you are not the, took credit for the nickel but, and dime no good play dude oh, come now on. we're getting into it I love oh, <laughs> oh god but he okay Jake Bean yes okay he's shown some stuff offensively all right I mean on the second on his second assist I will give him credit it was a good play by him to get that puck through it's good shot but let's not act like Hayden Fleury and Brady Shea and Dougie Hamilton have all been doing that. This entire year, they're just their shots haven't been getting tipped in. Hayden Fleury is among the the leaders on the Hurricanes and uh, getting shots through on goal. He's leading the team in block shots, and he is more, like definitely definitely leaps and bounds ahead of Jake Bean defensively uh, as a responsibility. I mean, Jake Bean. Every game I've watched him this year, he has been directly responsible for a breakaway against us. So I still have huge concerns about his defensive ability overall. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely grown in that regard. He's a good puck mover from the back end. I mean, you guys probably aren't ready for this, but I do think Hayden Fleury is among the best on the team at moving the puck in transition. He's up there with Drake Gardner. But, I, I mean, I, I'd like to see some more of Bean. I mean, obviously, you want to see what he's got, especially with, you know, all the question marks surrounding Dougie Hamilton and his contract, but we won't get to that today. Um you definitely want to have a look at him. He's in play for Seattle. So, I mean, do you want to kind of give some tape on him to, to Ron Francis to, you know, <laughs> is, are you, is he going to take him? Is he going to take flurry or are you going to try and, you know, maybe dangle somebody to, to off, offload a Shea or Gardner contract? There's a lot of questions there, but you know, I will give credit where it's due. Bean looked pretty good last night, but the bottom line is keep Hayden flurry in the lineup. He is elite. All right. So I'm kind of going to piggyback off that a little bit because the expansion draft does play into this. He's because... taking a drink. He's taking a drink right now from talking about <laughs> yeah, that. I can see like the smoke coming out. Like... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. I kept calm. I kept calm. I kept calm. Come on. You go did. No, this is great. I love it. <laughs> well, and the, the expansion draft is a big part of this, right? Because you have to think as things currently sit, Flurry and Bean are both going to be exposed. So, I, you know, I almost feel like in a way they're seeing what they haven't been to say if Hayden Fleury gets taken, Alex, cover your ears. Is this guy going to be able to step in and take that place? Or 
I mean, I guess vice versa. I would be pretty surprised if Bean and Flurry were both available if they took Bean over Flurry. But I really liked his game last night. He was struggled a little bit early, but and he's gonna struggle a little bit. He's a rookie defenseman. Flurry struggled early too. He's barely played in the NHL. He's barely played at all in how long? Yeah. How many right. games has he played in the last year? Four. Like he hasn't gotten his feet wet at the NHL level yet, and he's being asked to do so in a pandemic-shortened, weird year. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought both of uh, both of his points last night. That first. Um, dump down the wall where he didn't even do anything he actually made a really good play up the wall he got the he drew the defense uh, he drew the forward up the wall and then got it got it down low on the cycle he had drawn the defense away from there to give them space to operate down low and it turned into a goal it's a heady play yeah and it, it was, was a smart shot too right that might have been a little I might have been a little dismissive <laughs> you were you were <laughs> you're just trying to defend yeah. your, your boy we get it you know like he he needs to play more and I I agree Flurry doesn't deserve to be out of the lineup but nobody does that, and yeah. that's that's and the that's, point. that's the that, problem that's, that, is, that is the problem it, it but it's a good problem to have right exactly because yeah if yeah. you didn't have an extra body like a Jake Bean or you know whoever else may be sitting whether it may be Shea or Gardner or Flurry or whoever you'd be one injury away from, you know, Joakim Ryan stepping right into your lineup. So I think this is a pretty good problem to have. Anyway, go ahead. I, I think, I think, I think shocker, shocker, I'm in the middle of you two guys on this one. Um, I, I think that, I think I, I see both arguments with it. And I think I agree with Matt that it's a good problem to have. I mean, the fact, Jake Beam would be playing on 90% of the NHL right now. Like, let's yeah. get real here. Like the fact that we have, a guy like a Hayden Flurry that we can play over Jake Bean and like at least make an argument that he should be doing so. Like the fact that we can have this conversation, like Jake Bean literally has nothing left to do in the AHL. Like there is nothing left that he can prove. Right. Like, yeah. Was he was he perfect last night? No. Did he play well? Yes. But like it was one of those things where it's also like if we were a Vancouver Canucks fans talking about this right now and the fact that like we're complaining about like one or two breakaways that jake bean let happen last night right, like, yeah. we would be losing our minds every single night for the vancouver canucks so i believe we're allowing the most shots on goal per net every single night so there, there's that but also just the fact that you also have to look at who he's playing next to like he's playing next to like when when he comes on when slavin or pesci or Whoever you want to say, like we've already said, Brady Shea had a very good night last night. In contrast, it's hard to live up to that given, one, he's played how many games this year? Four. And it's like the contrast of having possibly two of the best defensive defensemen in all of the NHL playing above you. Right, and then yeah. the contrast that we're watching every single night. And Hayden is probably more responsible right now, but he's also more confident given the time that he's had. So that's, that's another part of it as well. But I think that it's, it's one of those things where if you look at the progression of how the defensemen that are currently on the roster playing every single night have made outside of the two guys that we just spoke about, Slavin and Pesci, that are kind of the homegrown guys. They were with us. They've signed the long-term contracts. They'll be with us for a while, hopefully, fingers crossed. But if you look at Dougie Hamilton, year one, at times was painful. Like, it was painful to yeah. watch Dougie Hamilton attempt to play defense. All of a sudden, he comes back, and 
he's a lot better. Like he's a lot more responsible. He still makes stupid decisions at times, pinching up too high. But luckily, he has the best defensive defenseman in the NHL, Jacob Slavin. Playing with him most of the time, it makes up for it. And then if you look at Brady Shea, who in New York, if you watched him, you would have one incredible play that you go, okay, I see it. And then one play where just like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And then Jake Gardner this year, all of a sudden you look at Jake Gardner going, where was this last year? Like he gets, they all get a year in the system. They get a chance to play with the staff. They know what's required kind of as, um, as we said, <laughs> as Brandon said earlier in the show, if you don't play hard, you don't play. Right. Like it's, it's one of those things where you get chewed out by Rod. He doesn't care. Like if, if you like, you got to show up and you got to play defense. And if you don't play defense, you're not playing. So, I mean, if you look at the consistent strides that these guys have made and Hayden Flurry has made those strides, like he's made those strides where there were times in the last couple of years where it was painful watching Hayden Flurry, but all of a sudden he looks a lot more sure of himself, a lot more confident. Whereas and that's what at reps time, at the NHL level yeah. will do. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I see the same path for Jake Bean long-term. I wouldn't bail on Jake Bean. I think that it's really nice to have this problem. Well, yeah. I mean, but look, as we sit here today, you can make a legitimate argument that the Hurricanes have seven defensemen that would right. be in a lot of teams' top fours in this right. league. Never yeah. mind just <laughs> right. on their back end. They do. Like, it's true. Aiden Fleury could be playing on any team's top four. I mean, Jake Bean is a guy who, you know, he he needs top four minutes probably to to be, you know, successful and to get the most right. out of him. So how many teams in this league can say that, that you've got seven guys that you can rely on for top minutes. If anybody goes down, you've just got another guy to step right in there. Right. I, I don't know if there's any. I don't think there, there's any. Are there any teams? A couple of years ago, I would have said Nashville. Nashville, yeah. 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 P.K. Subban and, and Roman Yossi, and they had Shea Weber even before that, but I, I'm not sure. Ryan Ellis. The yeah, only not, defenseman yeah, that not, I can not think now. not now. Yeah, not no, now, there, there's not, not a team now, other now. than maybe like you could argue like uh Philly. Yeah, yeah Philly. Maybe, maybe. And Philly's one of those teams Rob that has like Ghost. a great yeah. top six, but even then God's despair, you don't know what you're getting from him most nights. But I know that um we're we should probably wrap it up pretty soon. Yeah. Um, I do have four more questions. Two of them are going to take like two seconds to answer. Um, so this one is from Graham Renfro at Graham R underscore nine. Do we still have Saku's rights? And that is a no, we do not. I checked cap friendly today. Mm. The Hurricanes no longer have the rights to Saku Manalenin. I haven't thought about him in a while. <laughs> I haven't either. And it's been blissful. But so, like, the Canes got their Saku in pocket. Alex Ovechkin still thinks about Saku Menelinen. That's exactly right. Saku Menelinen lives rent-free in his head. Rent-free. <laughs> the great eight, Saku Menelinen. So this, this question is, uh, the next question is exclusively for me, and I'm going to use it to be a shameless plug, to do a shameless plug here. So at TML037 asks, why didn't you trade for me? And this is an inside joke because, um, so on my personal account, I... Half of my tweets are Kane's tweets, like 25% are cat tweets about my cat. <laughs> and then like the other 25% are tweets about streams that I'm doing. And so I do this series called Kane's Twitter franchise mode where I take like people from Kane's Twitter, I create a player for them and we sim through their career through franchise mode. Oh, that's awesome. 
<laughs> and for for reference, for those of you that don't know, Trevor is a high franchise player. I believe he's like 94 and his value is maxed out and there's no possible way that you can trade for him in that game. He's just too good. The reason why he's that is, by the way, if you show up to the streams, you're more likely to get a franchise player because he's the only one that freaking shows up. So <laughs> at Kane's Netfront, you'll occasionally see tweets about streams. It's always a fun time. I usually just say, talk to my cat and talk to whoever's watching. But so like is that on Twitch, that Just is so on can... YouTube because okay. my old Wi-Fi did not let me stream on Twitch for whatever reason through my PlayStation. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna do the plug, do the plug right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yes, sir. I have no idea what my. I think it's just my name, Matt Soma, on YouTube. So cool. you're better off just finding the stream link through uh, Twitter. Let's be honest. But yeah. so that's. I just had. To, I just had to answer that because I thought it was hilarious. Just like that he bothered to ask that for the pod so the next question that we get after that little uh little sidetrack there is uh from sam kinney at kinney the caniac he asks what are your thoughts on alexander nikishin from the khl i've had limited viewings of him at this point i mean he's barely played this year right i mean he just came back i think today was his first game back from injury but his gap control uh at his young age is pretty impressive He's got he's got a high IQ on the defensive side of the puck, and like I said, this guy, I mean, he he can hit with the best of them. I mean, from the highlights, especially that I've seen, he's starting to remind me a little about maybe of a, an Anton Volchenkov, who he was just he was loved. That's uh, a by name. The, by, That's a deep the, cut. He, he was loved uh, <laughs> here name. in Ottawa, uh, the A train. So I'm kind of hoping um, maybe he can grow into that kind of a role uh, with the Hurricanes. He kind of got like overshadowed by how good of a draft the Canes had in 2020. Um, and this is a guy who was drafted in the third round. And like, I watched, um, I think I've only watched one of his games this year. And it was when he was getting first pairing minutes in the KHL, which by the way, as a 19 year old defenseman playing Super for one of impressive. the best KHL teams. Absolutely. Doesn't yep. happen often. Like that, that should speak more volumes than some of his on ice production. Sure. The dude has surprising confidence with the puck on his stick. And it's something that you don't see from a, it's atypical of a defenseman that is of his build, a tall guy with great defensive skills and a heavy hitting style of play. You don't see them have a ton of confidence or poise with the puck. And yet here's a guy who's trying to dangle through three defenders at the KHL level and nearly roof a shot on the backhand. Like, it blows my mind that a player of his archetype is able to do the things with the puck that he's able to do, or at least just have the confidence to do it. Like he's definitely got a little uh, chutzpah. I'd definitely say he's like kind of a sleeper at this point. Like he does not get nearly the publicity among Kane's prospects as some of the other guys. But I, one of the biggest reasons I like him so much is because he's very unique among Kane's defense prospects. We have so many of the smaller skill guys and he's really our only like legitimate stay-at-home defense prospect. That's a, like, that's a great can you, point. Can you think of any others that are just purely in that ilk where maybe, they're just maybe Cade Weber? Definitely yeah, Cade, Cade Weber, Weber. He's another super raw long shot, though. I'm not oh, sure absolutely. Weber's like really tracking towards a guy that we'd expect to make the NHL but at this point. He's got some talent. He's, 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 he's skating along. ability. He's coming along. Right, and he's got some skating ability and like 
unteachable size. But Nikishin also has that offensive flair that you guys have spoken about. So he's actually a guy that I'm really looking forward to tracking for sure. How about Joe, Joey Keane? Where, where are we at with... Keane's more of a six on the scale of like yeah. 10 being purely offensive and one being... Defensive. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's playing on the top power play unit for uh, Chicago. Yeah, I'm, because I'm, I'm not just sure trying to think of guys. Guy. I'm trying to think of guys who are just completely on the offensive side of the spectrum that can the, actually the play only, something. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, like no, like that was what I was thinking. Like and Honka, Honka, Honka like, for sure. There's they're like nines and tens on the scale, so I'm just right. trying to think about guys who aren't totally like nines and tens. Where Joey, yeah, King, like a five or a six. He's he's kind of responsible in his own end. But no, yeah, that, and he's that, physical too. Keen's Keen's physical. Best so case scenario, Weber, could, could 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 Nikishin be someone like a Romanov? Kind that's like somebody that I thought of too. I think with I think less with, with high end offense. Yeah, okay. I think I think with Nikishin, um, I think the reason why he was overlooked in this draft class uh, is because he's kind of like the one player that you know he's not overly flashy. There's nothing mm-hmm. super super exciting about him. You know, he's not. He's not going to score 50 points at the NHL and he's not going to really dangle through an entire team. He doesn't have the upside of maybe a Goonler or a Nybeck or even a passion. For example, I think he's, he's going to be a guy that's going to play in the NHL one day. I just, will he be more than a third pairing guy? I mean, that's, that's kind of hard to say right now. Um, but I think he's a guy that, you know, if he can at least steadily keep progressing with his overall package, uh, the way he plays, he's a guy that's a, a pretty good bet to, to make it to the league someday. But I think the interesting thing that I've noticed is despite him being such a physical player and as talented as he is, he doesn't take penalties. No, he doesn't ever. He had two in in 29 games last year. He had two penalty minutes, which is incredible to me. Like in 16 games this year, he has four penalty minutes. That blows my mind. Yeah. Especially how rugged he plays. Like you, you wouldn't expect that from him. Right. Absolutely. And so discipline, going, you got to like the discipline. Going exactly. back to what Jack said real quick, and this is the last thing I'll mention just re- with regards to Nikishin's future about like how many defensemen do we actually have in the system that play like him? Yeah. The Canes have drafted, if I can remember, in the past five years, they have drafted three defensemen that play on like a, let's say like three and below or on like a scale to 10 of defensive prowess. The most recent obviously being Nikishin. Mm-hmm. Go back to 2019, you've got Cade Weber. The only other player is Luke Martin. Luke Martin, no longer I knew you were going there. Let's <laughs> not even go to Luke Martin. <laughs> um, he was, dude, that never made sense, though, because he had – Nikishin has an offensive game to speak of. Luke Martin yeah. never did. Like, and he, he just was, can't Weber, keep up. Weber yeah, might he have, have the f- offensive um, game that Nikishin has, but he's smart. That's what's going to set him apart. And that's what Kane scouts are noticing. And I actually had a Kane scout watch that game and say, Weber looks like one of the smartest defensemen out there. The last one, and it's one that we touched on in the first podcast, so we won't have to talk about it too much. And obviously, Jack, you know, you weren't there. It's from SICHL Montreal, which I'm assuming is a hockey team in some league. Um, but it says <laughs> some league. <laughs> how much can we read into LaFontaine's season? How much do do the factors of being a senior, the rest of his team, and getting consistent opportunities and overall development play into it? And I think basically the overall theme that we kind of came to, maybe like a conclusion of last time, is like LaFontaine is playing well, 
and his team doesn't take away from the fact that LaFontaine is playing well. But at the same time, you do have to consider that he is a little older playing in that league. He is playing on admittedly a team with a very good defense. I think all six of the defensemen on that roster, if I'm not mistaken, have been drafted. And I think they lost four of them to Team USA. Yeah. And granted, he just fine when they were... I think he was playing at his clip when they were missing those players but the, the he did play well when they didn't have like um lacombe and ryan johnson and um who is the other guy i'm missing another guy oh brock faber yeah that was who they yeah. were missing faber as well. has been phenomenal. Ooh, I'm, a, I'm a huge brock faber fan i can't say enough good things about that kid so, did he go in the second when did he get drafted second round he was, was a third that's a good i think he was a third round pick which is ridiculous to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I expected him to go in the second as well. It's just one of those things where now we see LaFontaine, and I don't think he projects as an NHL starter, but I think his performance has been good, and you can't discount it for the team that is in front of him because he was doing just fine when half of his defense was away at the World Juniors. You can't take away from that and while it may not make him a starter it definitely i definitely think that we can read into a little bit and see like lafontaine could be a steady backup good for you know like 20 30 games a year and so i think on that note folks it's been a long podcast and we want to thank you all for taking the time to listen in for the whole the first three episodes and all of our you know ups and downs but we are very thankful for all of you. You can follow us at TTS underscore pod. You can follow Jack at... Oh at Jack Leguin. At Jack the first Le name, last name. Jack Leguin. L-E-G-W-I-N. I should have some stuff coming out soon, but um, if everyone's bored, I've, I've had people text me from road trip saying hey i just heard your interview with anton Lundell or tim stutzler whoever might end up being and um I, I like the way that you do things and if anyone's uh wants to go and check those out i've got a ton of stuff with a bunch of guys who i'm very proud to say are now getting their first chances in, in pro hockey so um, and that's bts hockey podcast yep bts hockey podcast behind the scenes hockey podcast and um yep that's pretty much wherever you get your podcast spotify apple music um well apple podcast google tune in radio pretty much anywhere um and uh yeah well jack thank you for the time and folks we will see you all hopefully next week after the canes you know take on the florida panthers and just continue on their hot streak but until next time folks we will see you all later